Hello and welcome to the Hoosie Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this very hot summer's day in uh, in London, England, uh, we're going to be talking about a Target novelisation. And uh, this time we're going to talk about a first Doctor story, The Edge of Destruction. Um, but first, England in the semi-finals of the World Cup. Yes! Yes. <laughs> uh, th- th- was there any doubt, Paul? Was there any doubt in your mind that we, we would uh. make it? Not with the draw we had, to be honest. No, because we, we usually don't do that well against Sweden, do we? No. We really don't. But they, but they haven't been particularly outstanding. No. So. But, but it's. Yeah. Go on. There we go. So it's a England Croatia semi final. So that's. Uh, mm. I was watching that last night as well, the Croatia Russia game. And that was. Uh, yeah, wasn't fantastic, to be honest. And the no. pe- And the penalties were atrocious. So. Yeah. But there we are. So there we are. So um, so we're having a break from the World Cup to talk about Doctor Who, and so we better do uh, the news, I suppose. Really, um, now about a week or so ago, there was a little one-minute clip released online. Uh, did you see it, Paul? Of of series, no. you didn't see it. Um, no, I haven't watched it. I I did see it. It didn't give anything away, um, but it had the usual um, response from from fandom saying, "Oh." This is going to be awful, you know. She can't act, and then you've got the other camp saying, "Oh, she's absolutely fantastic. She nails it." And I thought, well, how can either party tell from a one-minute clip, basically? But hey, you know, horses for courses and all that. However, the BBC it appears are taking this quite seriously because they are sort of taking legal action uh, to identify the the leak. Really, um, now apparently it was um, they've. It says they request that a clerk at the California Federal Court to issue a subpoena to Tappertalk, uh, which is a sort of online mo- sort of mobile community platform in the in the US. Um, yeah, it's unusual for the BBC to, to usually let, let these things slide, don't they? Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose the the fact if they have been. Keep well, in the past, they've known where the leaks come because it's usually been from the BBC. Money. Yes, <laughs> so, so I suppose actually, it's taken quite surprised by the fact that somebody else has done it for them. Um, <laughs> perhaps they're gonna hire them to give them a job. I don't know. Yeah, I know exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's just really, really strange, really. That the BBC have taken these steps, they're usually sort of like, oh, okay, fair enough, it was a. These things happen, but but is this oh. is this the new era of Chibnall? He, he you know he's going to be quite adamant. You know, there's no leaks, there's no spoilers, and if there is, he's going to make sure the BBC or makes enough noise that the BBC clamps down hard. Well, I suppose I, I suppose the, one of the differences with this is the fact they don't know where if they don't know where it's come from. Mm. Uh, as we say in the past, they've known for work where it's come from because <laughs> it's been pretty obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and if they don't know where it's coming from, then it's difficult to stop. I mean, previously, obviously, they could they could they could stop by not sending out DVDs in advance. And, well, that would and help, wouldn't it? it? Yeah. Or the this, um, this, I was going to say, or, or the or the the uh, Blu-ray disc. Um, yeah. It was of uh, was it? I can't it was the 2013 series. Um, yeah, the Blu-ray disc was released before it actually even aired. So, yeah. <laughs> brilliant! Absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, pretty obvious how those things happened, but yeah, they don't know. They don't know where this has come from. Obviously, it's difficult then to to plug the leak in future if you don't know what where it's coming from. So this is, mm. this is what they're trying to do, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I suspect, exactly. I suspect it's more the case of 
wanting to know how it's got out there rather mm. than actually in the end wanting to see somebody pulled up in court mm. if you know what i mean yeah so we'll see uh, yeah well I, I, I dare so we, we won't get to hear anything else um after um after this i suppose that, that that's that's uh, well different though in the states because it's all sort of very very um well you can you can look yourself anyway you're, you're a man of the courts aren't you um well, how can you find these things out if he does go to court? Anyway, I'm assuming at the moment it's going to be in the US. It's going to be not not something yeah. that the British judicial system would get their hands on. I'm okay, so that's, that's slightly out of my district. district I think. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you and Judge Judy having drinks in the bar all the time after. <laughs> Well, yes, but we try not to talk about work. <laughs> well, of course, the the other things as well is that the the Doc Two panel at the um, at San Diego Comic Con is going to be this Wednesday, so uh, there is a very very good chance that the trailer will be online around about that point. If there is going to be a trailer, I'm assuming that they'll have to show usually turn up with something to show at the Comic Con, don't they? So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it will be online. Not long after, or at the same time, I don't know. But so I got, I got a feeling we we won't have long to wait. No, for a trailer now, I really don't. Maybe that's why the the, the BBC is so annoyed. You know, it's come out so, quite, you know, so close. Yeah, you know, to um, releasing something official because apparently this clip had a temporary music and it hadn't gone through the the normal grading process. So visually, it was it was off as well. So it really was like you know a rough. A rough cut, but yeah. hey, you know, um, lots of people lapped it up. Um, unfortunately, lots of people were sharing it online and sharing. There was some couple of stills released as well, um, which apparently uh, is meant to be the new Sonic Screwdriver. Whether that whether that's proven or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I did, I did see that picture. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that's as that's as far as I yeah I well, got. Well, needless to say, us here at the Who's podcast will not be sharing any spoilery material. Um, so, and to be honest, you know, if anyone started sharing it um, around, you know, wanting, you know, you know, please, you know, spare off the people who don't want it spoilt for them. Really, you know, if you want to share it, share it privately, but not publicly. If you if you want to, if, if you want to do that sort <laughs> I mean, of thing. As it's the running fear at the moment is, yeah, I won't be sharing anything because that means I'd have to do something. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. And imagine this hot weather pool. You're even less inclined to do anything, aren't you? Really? Yeah. <laughs> unless it, unless it comes with, with a free ice bucket, I'm not interested. At the moment. <laughs> oh dear. Right now, next in the news, um, will we be getting a Christmas special? Now, I think it was on their last episode, I boldly proclaimed that I didn't think we would be getting a Christmas special this year, didn't I? Because yeah. the um, there, was, there was something floating around about how uh, close it was going to be uh, to, to Christmas. when it was going, So it's going to be like sort of nine episodes, and the 10th episode shown around about a month later or something, wasn't it? it was, I can't remember what it yeah. was now. Um so anyway, apparently, um, the online CV of an editor of, on, on, on Doctor Who called um, Edel McDonnell indicates they will be um, working on a Christmas special to be directed by Wayne Yip, um, who previously directed Lie of the Land and Empress of Mars in the last series um, of, um, of Doctor Who. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pleased? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I don't want any more Doctor Who, please. No, well, no, well, actually, no. You, you, you were actually moaning the other way. You, you didn't want a Christmas special. That means you get Christmas off from podcasting. So <laughs> <laughs> you can see yeah. where his loyalties lie, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it, it's. It, I, I, I said I, I'd expect. I, I think I did say I expected there to be. One. You did, yes, you did, yeah, um, yeah, through gritted so. teeth. So. So, so yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. I'm proved right. <laughs> well, to be, I mean, to be honest, yeah, as you say, you know, it's more Doctor Who. You know, yeah. you can't complain at that. But I mean, I think really the Christmas specials, I can take them or leave them a lot of the time. There's, there's very now and you know, very rare you get an absolute classic. You know, something like you know, um, like a Christmas Carol or you know, or the Snowman or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, they, they don't come along very often. So yeah, as I say, I, I can take them or leave them, but um, but well, it's 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 a new, it's it's going to be the first Christmas special of this Doctor and yes, indeed, team, yeah, so, yeah. So so let's give it a chance. Precisely. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. No. No. Well, let's at least wait until the fifty-second clip is released of it. <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh dear! I love it when people just look at something completely out of context and make their minds up immediately. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh dear! Right now, I'm moving on to some um, sad news. Actually, the actress Helen Griffin, uh, who played Mrs. Moore in the Tenth Doctor story, Rise of the Cybermen: Age of Steel, um, has sadly died at the age of 59. Um, yes. Yes, that is quite a shock. Actually, um, I think the other thing I was explaining to my Wife said, "Oh no, you know this, this." I showed the photograph. I said, "Do you recognise her?" And Joe said, "No." So she's in Doctor Who. Um, well, I still don't know. And I said, well, "She was the uh, the the um, the toll booth operator on the on the Seven Bridge in Gavin and Stacey when they're trying to rush across to Wales for um, the the birth of Smithy's son." Did you did you did you ever watch no. Gavin and Stacey? No. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, she was. Um, yeah. She, she. She was the the toll booth operator. Anyway. So. Um, yeah. It's a. It's a shame. It really is a shame to say that. Is... I mean, what... Yeah. yeah I mean, we've sort of got used to classic series actors passing away, haven't we? But you know. Yeah. It's, not. It's yeah. Even not... More of a shock when it's the. Yeah. When it's the, the new, new series. series. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, apparently, she's she's best known for. Um, Playing a role in the there's a Welsh film called Twin Town, um, which I I haven't seen. I've got to be honest, no. I haven't got to be seen. Uh, uh, um, I haven't got to be seen. No, no, I haven't got to be seen. No, I haven't. Um, it's uh, no. I remember something when it was released. There was some. I think the Sun tried to whip up some sort of controversy about because there was something in the. F- I haven't seen. I don't know if this story's what the Sun was saying was true, but there's something about the film um, murdering Harry Seacombe. Or something. So I, I right. don't know what. Yeah, I've got no idea whether that was true or not. But um, but apparently, says she was a psychiatric nurse um, who was at nursing college alongside uh, Joe Brand. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I didn't know. So um, yeah, it, it's sad. She was in Coronation Street as well. So I do. You know I vaguely remember her being in Coronation Street. Vaguely, but yeah, well, Joe watches it. <clears throat> yes, my wife watches Coronation Street. So. Um, yeah, it's very sad, as you say. It's a shock to sort of report when some, you know, someone's passed away from the, from the new series. Series, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so very sad indeed. Very sad. Um, so 
Anyway, let's let's try and sort of brighten things up a little bit with a little trip to Omega's Tack Corner. You pester me with trinkets! Okay, now this isn't a particular item of, of, of tat, uh, really. This is a shop full of tat. Um, this comes courtesy of Martin Havel at the Bad Wolf podcast, um, who put this up on our Facebook group. Uh, the BBC um, have opened up a Doctor Who online shop or store, whatever you want to call it, um, where you can buy all the tat that you could possibly want. Now, it doesn't appear to be any... any or, not or not want. Yes, indeed, because it... It does seem to be the same sort of design repeated on various things. Yeah. Doesn't it? Um, and there's no 13th Doctor stuff yet either, which I thought was a bit... I thought they'd be, I thought they'd be plugging that a little bit now, but maybe they're going to wait till the new series. But, yeah, so there's plenty, well, still plenty yeah. of Matt Smith and Missy and the 12th Doctor and stuff like that. You know, Yeah, sorry, you were going to say, mate. No, I was going to say, so talking about lack of uh, new Doctor, wasn't there the calendar that was released the whatever it was 16 month calendar or whatever that didn't have her on the front cover oh that's right yes that's right yeah i thought the bbc's yeah, doing there but well, just think, well, that, 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 that's that's quite a an admission that is really in it that really is so oh, i don't know i don't know so but you can buy um art prints clocks coasters cushions Door plaques, enamel mugs, greetings cards, homeware, key rings, lunch boxes, magnets, mouse mats, mugs, notepads, pencil tins, placemats, t-shirts, tea towels, tote bags, and water bottles. Wow, veritable cavalcade of of uh, tat there, to be yes. sure. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's, it's tattle, right? <laughs> it is. <I> mean, <laughs> It is. It is Omega's new home. It is actually. It is Omega's found a home in the BBC store. Oh dear. Oh dear. Um, yeah, I, I haven't actually sort of picked anything out in particular. Um, to, uh, to, to you know, to be honest, um, you just you just, you just want, want me to surprise you with a present, don't you? I do. I do. I do. <laughs> no, I, I don't expect that of you, Paul, because I, I know that would mean some effort. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And spending money. Right? <laughs> Two things that are never going to happen. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, so so if anything of note pops up in the uh, the online Doctor's uh, shop, we will, uh, we'll be sure to bring it to you anyway. We'll yeah, I, 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 be sure not to have seen it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or bought it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's... Um, now, if anything does come... Surely something's got to get nearer to Christmas. I mean, you know, there's got to be more, more tat in there. Surely. Because I think last the last Christmas, the last couple of Christmas, the, the the Doctor Who festive tat has been pretty poor, actually, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't think we've actually uh, recovered from the 50th anniversary tat with that uh, water pump <laughs> no. Doctor Who tie-in. But... <laughs> that was yeah, that's, they're, they're, they're... Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Qu- having a quick look through this store, there isn't any water pumps. There isn't no pumps. or pumps of any kind, actually. But... <laughs> That's uh, it's not that kind of shop, but no. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. So uh, anyway, so we just thought we we would bring that to your attention anyway. But if you want to uh, go to the uh, the Doctor Who shop, it's uh, shop.doctorwho.tv. So there you are, there you are. Okay, everybody. So that uh, just about wraps up the news. So coming up next, we're going to talk about the target novelisation of the Edge of Destruction. So for another week, then that was the news.
Okay, everybody, and we're now going to talk about the target novelization of The Edge of Destruction. Uh, this one was released in October 1988, so it was quite a, uh, a late target release. And this one was uh, adapted by Nigel Robinson from the David, original David Whittaker script of 1963. Um, so, Paul, it's your turn to kick this one off, isn't it? Yes, it yes, is. yes. What do you think of this one? Um, it was a long time since I'd watched the TV episodes. Mm. Um, I actually can't remember the last time I'd watched them. I've had the DVD for a while and sort of hadn't got it out to look at it. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I actually really enjoyed this story. Good. So did I. <laughs> so did I. Yeah. Much more than I enjoyed the TV episode when I come to watch it. Well, I've got to be honest, because the, 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 the TV um, version of this is is one of my favourite William Hartnell stories, if I'm perfectly honest. I know that it sort of comes in for a bit of a bit of derision from certain quarters, but I think it's a nice little... Uh, considering it was done in a rush, and it yeah. was like a, a you know, um, it was a filler story more than anything else. And it had to be done, yes. on, it had to be done on the cheap. They couldn't afford any more sets. It had to be done on the TARDIS set. Um I think it. I think it's brilliant. I, I think it's a, it's a tight little two part story. I really do. Um, Even though the ending's a bit is it is a bit of a cop out, but it is too rushed. I mean, actually, I mean, the book does exactly what you want the novelizations of Doctor Who to do. Yes, yes, they, it, this I'll, one I'll, certainly I'll, does. Yeah, I would say this is probably the textbook example of of how you want one to be. It filled in. Those bits that sort of that where where the story was rushed, and you sort of had these quite big jumps in logic that had to be made mm. by people. This actually led you to the journey much more um, organised way. Yeah, to solving it. I mean, you you did suddenly it start to fit together, whereas in the actual TV episode. They do make some, you know, the, the assumption really. See, all all that really makes it to the TV episode is the machine giving out the water and the clocks. Hmm. Yeah. And the image on the scanner, and that's it. It's just those three things. Whereas the book really does give you a a much more. Oh, there's all this happening as well that you can understand how they get to the solution they did from the book, which sort of they're not quite sh- sure how they made the sudden jump to the realization on screen. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, you know, I, I suppose it had to be really. I mean, you know, the runtime was sort of I think for the second episode was barely over twenty minutes. Yeah, uh, I'm that, out, I'm you know, so you know, yeah. they had to. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they had the luxury of sort of. Uh, you know, putting more plot development in there. You know, they, they had to do what they, what they had to do. Um, but I think it's what someone says here that um, on the on the um, the wiki page that you know, Dave Whittaker was like a master of um, dialogue, characterization, atmosphere, but he felt he struggled with plot logic. Um, and they said, and they reckon there's evidence by the fast return switch explanation. Yeah. Um, I think I, I still like the idea. I know we're talking about the novel at the moment, but I do like the idea of the fast return switch. It takes them right back to where things began, really. Mm. It, it does return no. them right, right to the very beginning, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I don't mind that. Okay, maybe the reason why the button got stuck 
you know that that's it's all to do with a little spring i mean yeah fair enough that's a little bit <laughs> that's a little bit weedy but i mean um i, I like the fact that the that actually in, in both the tv and, the, and, right, the, and now, nowadays there'd just be a bit of dirt on the on the contacts wouldn't there oh I mean, yeah that, that yeah would be the... That, yeah, that would be the modern equivalent. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now I think the whole thing about the fault locator couldn't couldn't um, find the fault, which to me makes sense because it wasn't a fault. It just assumed that no. someone's holding the button down. Down. That's yeah. it. You know. So um, I, I I can live with that. I don't I don't really see that. As yeah. A, no. No. I've got I've got I've got really. no I've got no problem actually with the plot of this. I mean, I think it's I think it's a really good story. I do. I think it's fantastic. And, yeah. Uh, it's just. It's it's not actually that I think that the two episode TV series is bad. Mm. It's just disappointing having read the book to watch it because you want the rest of the story. You want there. that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, should we should we now talk about the book because there, there are some yeah. significant changes um, in this and um, Nigel Robinson. Um, I think he he did a, a really really good job with this and he, he really did not fill in. Gaps, but just expanded. There's a there's a yeah. difference, and I think compared to, as you said earlier about you know this is what you tar- you want a target noveliz- novelization to do. I think compared to some of the recent sort of ones we covered by Terence Dix, where they really have been by the numbers. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, this did, but this, this yeah, it's got to be accepted that this is someone who's been commissioned to do something and been given time to do it. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, Terence Dix was given two weeks to to knock it up because they had to get it out. I mean, yeah. I don't know how long uh, he had Nigel Robinson had to write this, you know? <laughs> no, no, exactly, exactly. So, well, that's the thing, because when, when we selected I thought, crack, this is going to be... I mean, it is a short book. It's not even 100 pages, is it? No. Um I was, obviously, it's only a two-part episode, but and I, I must admit, I did read it in one in one sitting. It took me an evening, you know, to, to read the book, but I couldn't put it down. Yeah, I, I just got totally engrossed. In it. I know I'm a little bit biased because it is one of my favourite um, um, first Doctor stories, but um, no, everything that he that he added into it um, made complete sense. Yeah, there um, wasn't there wasn't you didn't feel there was any. Gratuitous, no. adding in, padding out. No, um, it really was just putting in things that you think actually, yeah, that's you know, like I say, when I actually watched the the TV episode, it was stuff that actually you then was disappointed because it wasn't in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk I mean, about let's talk about some some of the, the the differences then, because I think that the the one thing that sort of catches you straight away is after the TARDIS loses power. Um. It's the whole um, thing of when they come round, they all believe that they're back at the school. They're yeah. totally disorientated where they are, and they believe the doctor to be a, to be a supply teacher, don't they? Yes, because um, they think. Which when I yeah go on, sorry yeah. yeah, no yeah I mean that was, and when I when I started to watch the TV, I thought oh that's 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 totally different in the TV, mm. but it isn't. Because it's not. No, it's just expanded when you just a little get bit. To Ian, yeah, just. You don't actually realise it from Barbara or Susan. Mm. It's Ian that suddenly is the you know the oh we're we're not in the um, staff room anymore. Yeah, well I think it's it's that whole thing as well because Bar in the book Barbara thinks because after the, the ship sort of crashes you want to call it that um, Ian's in the chair as he is in in the TV series. Um, 
and Barbara thinks he's had a bit of a heavy lunch down the pub and sleeping it off. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that sort of sets the <laughs> sets the date for with teachers. I mean, we can remember teachers going to the pub at lunchtime, can't we? So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because we had to nip out the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was, it was things like, you know, things like that. Um, it just expanded. It was only hinted at, really, about what was going through their minds. And, but the book really makes the point of, you know, of the characters don't know where they are anymore. They they just they've literally gone back to where they started. Yeah, because you almost actually think where if there'd been any how these how much planning goes into these mm. series at this stage, and obviously they're tight for room. You'd think nowadays this would all be planned out, and they'd have kept the set for the school when they filmed the the first scenes of Susan in school. Yeah. For unearthly child, they'd have filmed the opening of this in that in that school. I mean, set. I mean, I mean, unless they were those sets were pulled down pretty, pretty sharp. Yeah, no, no, no. But I'm yeah. saying, but nowadays they'd actually be filming. Oh, there would be nowadays. There would, yeah. You'd have that set, and you'd say, right, we're going to be using that again in block three or whatever. So we'll do those that filming now for that those episodes. Yeah. Um. Which is just, you know, obviously the BBC then couldn't take you back to the... They couldn't give you the, the staff room set because they haven't got the time to build a staff room set anymore. No, and they didn't have the money for this either, did they? No. It was, you know, no. you've got you got the TARDIS set and, and, and that's your lot, really. Um, but the thing is when they when they do sort of come come around that they, they've got this noise, this constant noise going on, like, like breathing... Yeah. And, they, and they're sort of like didn't know if some something was in there with them, or it was the the TARDIS making that noise. They they didn't really know what it was, and and the author really does build up that whole the character's paranoia. Yeah. In this a lot I mean, a lot more effectively. They they did play up the doors being open and yeah. Could there be something in there? And it really was yeah. It, the, the suspense. I mean, this this episode is all about suspense, isn't it? It is, yeah. and not and not who not trusting anybody and whatever. Mm. Um, to be honest, one of the the problems with the TV is it doesn't have enough time to build that. No, I mean, I think, I think really that I think that one of the things that because I watched the extras on the DVD as well. Um, first time I have done for a you know, for a long time before we start recording this. And I think they, 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 the the program makers felt at the time they couldn't they felt they couldn't continue the antagonism between the Doctor, um, Barbara and Ian, for much longer. They had to sort of they felt they had to reach a point fairly quickly. They had to sort of like okay, now the characters have got to start to come together. Yeah. And and they used this story. So the, I think the paranoia was 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 already there. They just had to bring it to an end. And I think this. Yeah. This story is just meant to bring that paranoia to a peak, and then then it gets resolved, which it which it does really, because the previous two stories, I mean, you know, the Doctor basically kidnaps them, an unearthly child. He tricks them going into the Dalek city, and then he gets them killed in the second story. You know, so um, yeah. and as Barbara says in the book and on the TV series, it wasn't for us. You'd be dead now. You wouldn't you wouldn't have got out of the cave of skulls, which is true, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, so um, you know, and Ian, I mean, Ian stops the the doctor from caving 
someone's head in with a rock. Yes. You know, so, you know, the Doctor's quite a... At this point, he's not a very nice person at all, is he, really, the Doctor? Oh, I mean, you, you, you can well believe that he's going to throw them out, whether oh. it's into the time vortex or onto an alien planet. He doesn't really care. They're going out. Yeah, exactly. Very, very sheep. cold and callous at this point. Yeah. Very without really, so. without any evidence that they've done anything. No, no. <laughs> but then... Um, you get the bit with um, you still get the bit with Susan and the um, and the scissors in this as well, which, yeah. which they said afterwards um, was a mistake, um, which I can kind of imagine. Cause this was sort of like you know aimed at children. You got someone trying to stab, you know, the granddaughter trying to stab an adult with yeah. uh, with a pair of scissors. scissors. Um, but I think the the description in the book of the, the rooms in the TARDIS because it is it feels like a a proper bedroom. It's because Ian takes. Susan to to her bed. She's got a pillow. There's an oil lamp on the side which he lights to to cast some light because obviously all the yeah. everything's in pra- you know practically dark. Um, and this whole thing sort of like she's got the scissors and she basically sort of like just stabs the pillow to to pieces and she basically shreds it. Um, yeah. But in the obviously the TV series, and I think you've 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 got those those sort of sort of like lounge sun lounger things come out of the wall. Yes. Haven't you? Um, which looks great. It's futuristic, but I, I like the idea. There's, I mean, which they do sort of come back to later in the series, especially in the '80s. That you know, everyone's got a bedroom because you yeah. see, like, you know, Nissa's bedroom or Adric's bedroom or even Romana's at one point as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like what the book does there. And obviously, this is obviously written after those episodes have gone out. So I think that was probably the thing people were expecting. Yeah, the companions had a bedroom rather than. Or we'll just you know we'll just put our heads down anywhere really. So, but I mean, but where it builds the tension with that scene is the fact you've got Ian and Barbara were saying you know about it was like a person possessed, mm. and Barbara keep coming back to that thought in her head. Yeah, at different points during the rest of the the book is really, you know, laying it on the what is else is in here with us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I did like that, you know, that they thought, you know, um, and the, you come back to the paranoia thing. The bit I really liked in the book as well is when the Doctor and Ian go off to look at the engines of the TARDIS. Yeah. Which is obviously something they couldn't afford to do back then, probably didn't consider doing it either because it doesn't crop no. up in the, in the televised version whatsoever. But this whole thing of like Ian following the Doctor and then getting distracted by um, the doors the opening. Yeah. The, oh, the picture, that was it. He had a, um, was it a Da Vinci, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He stops to look at this, this Da Vinci that no one ever seen before um, and the Doctor already moved on. He didn't check to see if he said, this is a fake on the back, did he? No, he didn't, no. <laughs> but then I like the whole thing. He thought he'd retrace his steps, but the doors that were open were now closed and the doors oh, that were closed are now open um, and things like that. And it was the, the TARDIS sort of... Um, Guiding him. Yeah, exactly. Which he didn't... At the time, you, you just think it is something bad is happening and it really yeah. does play on that whole aspect that something's seriously wrong inside the TARDIS. Um but the bit where you get down to the engine room as he finally finds the doctor, um, and you find out this this noise, this like breathing noise, is actually the TARDIS because it's like a huge what describes as a huge set of bellows, bellows, yeah, supply, supplying the air. And um, and he said Ian was sort of quite surprised to see it was all sort of like valves and and 
and sort of cogs and stuff making the and I love it's sort of like it's steampunk before steampunk was really a thing. Yeah. You know, and I I love that description. And I wish they sort of carried on with that into the TV series. To be honest, because it's fairly yeah. easy to realize, isn't it? Mm. Rather than having exploding stars and and you know black holes in the middle of the TARDIS and everything, I thought I thought that would have been much more cheaper to to realize. But um, no, I I I, do, I just loved that, and I was sort of you know I'd never I wasn't expecting it to be honest in the book. No, to, you know for it, to take us to you know in, into the heart of the TARDIS. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was great, and then Ian gets locked in again, doesn't he? It? It's sort of which he then blames on the Doctor. Yeah, the whole yeah paranoia thing. Then yeah, you know, does the Doctor even know that's happened? Well, that doesn't explain how he gets locked in. No, it just sort of shuts, doesn't it? And then he can't open it again. It doesn't explain yeah. why it shuts. No, but this whole that, thing that, about that, Ian that's doesn't the like sort the weak um, thing. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. They, they, you know, they they say later on that oh, it was the TARDIS that unlocked the door for him, but. They don't actually say, well, how did it get locked in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, I like the thing that he sort of like, he, he didn't like, you know, being in, you know, closed, confined spaces. He find it difficult to breathe. The air was running out. And at that, that point, he was getting to sort of almost like pass out. Then yeah. the door opened. It's not, the, you know, later on, you sort of you find out the TARDIS sort of like, well, save, you know, saved his life, really. But um, no, I thought that, that was. That was really good, but, but I th- and I again, think, other, I think, oh yeah, sorry, gone. No, gone. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, and the doctor's reaction—he's sort of like, I couldn't give, a, I couldn't care less, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. he just couldn't. You know, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got utter, complete, and utter disregard for his uh, for his crew in this story. Yeah. Utter disregard. But uh, yeah, sorry, you were going to say, sorry. No, I mean, and that, again, that was just one of the first p- bits that sort of point you in the direction of what's happening. Um, I think all of them were really well realised. Yeah. When you get to um, Barbara in the laboratory. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was a really well thought out way of the, how the TARDIS could be protecting somebody. Exactly, yeah. Because then you, you really aren't sure what's going on there, are you? No. This whole... Like a poltergeist, it does make you think there is something on board with them. Yeah, there, yeah, there is, there is a life force that's uh, means them harm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that that I mean, if, if I don't know whether that is a complete um, something from Nigel Robinson's imagination or was something left over from Whitaker that they just couldn't film. I don't know. I'd, I'd quite like to know that, actually. I would know, actually, yeah. It's, because it's, it's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah. And something, actually, you probably thought they could have realised on screen. I mean, the biggest problem would have been the set for the <laughs> for the laboratory. But Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, you know, that, could, that, that would have been a really good scene to have seen. I mean, that, that is one of the bits that I was really disappointed that wasn't there. Yeah. And it, as you say, it could have quite easily have, have been in there, couldn't it? Really, yeah. But but it was, it was just great to read in the book. It really was. It really was. But the other yeah. thing I like about this as well is the um, internal thought process of, of Ian and Barbara because they they really don't like the Doctor at all, do they? They're sort of no. You know, I mean, um, Ian at, at one point perhaps he does want to throttle the Doctor. Um, you know, 
Barbara thinks to herself, you know, he's a stupid old goat. You know, she they they really have got nothing. Actually, nobody's got anything nice to say to one another in this one at all, have they? No, absolutely not. But but that, again, that was the whole point. They had to bring it to a to a a, a point, and then it's got then you've got to come down from that. Um, which I think this this book does really really well because it, it sells that whole paranoia thing, the mistrust, um, the mystery on board the TARDIS. Um, and I love the TV version, as I said previously, but this really does, I mean, it improves the point 100%. It really does. Yeah. I mean, I mean even, even the scenes, of, even the bits with the, the doctor drugging them. Yeah. Um, the fact that he doesn't drink and his own cup. Um, but, you know, and Ian says to Barbara, lock your door. Yeah. Because he's, he's worried that something has been done. Yeah, exactly. and then again, then you've got the TARDIS. Then kept keeping them awake, stopping them from the drug, from getting a hold of them. Yeah, because that that didn't really come across in the in the TV version, did it? Because the the, no. the TARDIS keep it just keeps putting piercing bright light in their rooms. Mm. Um, which actually it kind of makes sense. The book actually makes sense of the fact that they have got their own rooms because in the as I said in the TV series version, you just got those sun lounger things that come out of the wall. Yeah, but they all get into their. Pajamas and dressing gowns, didn't they? Yeah. So where were they getting changed? They had to have their own rooms, really, didn't they? So I think I think the book does plug a little plot hole there, really. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was, it was great. But yeah, as you say, the whole thing with the, with the bright lights in the room to, to stop them from dozing off, um, which I think was inspired, really. Yeah, and the fact that the doors aren't locked when they when he goes to go out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even little things like the um, there's the light on the console is only on the one panel that they can touch. Yes. Again, another you know, well, it, it great re- idea. Yeah, it is. It it really does sell the whole plot point of the TARDIS giving them clues. Yeah, a lot more clearer than the TV version does. Yeah, like I say, I mean, there's only about two clues in the TV version. I mean, I don't know if anyone could have watched that and at the time and worked it out before they got to the... Uh, no, probably not, actually. Probably not. Um, the answer. No. Um, whereas in the book, I mean, I, mean I, know, I know we come from a point of view that we come from a, a generation that's quite happy to believe that the TARDIS has got some... Uh, uh, it, it, at least artificial intelligence, mm. if not if not a sentient. Yeah. Um, so we're we're quite happy to believe that the TARDIS would would have um, would would be able to warn them and would try to do something. It is it is interesting though that this obviously at this point in the in the show's history they hadn't actually decided that you know the the TARDIS was a living thing um, and they were grown rather than. Rather than Bill, and at this point, the Doctor knows absolutely nothing about his TARDIS at all, doesn't he? No, this is, comes as much of a shock to him as it does. Yeah, to, yeah, because because when Ian says, you know, along the lines of, you know, is it? Do you think the TARDIS is alive? And he said, well, as a, as, as alive as a, as a machine could be. Yeah. So he, he's not convinced either. Um, no. But I, I think that the the book certainly does highlight that aspect a lot more that the TARDIS is alive. And it's been helping them all the way. Um, yeah. yeah, actually, I mean, and actually, one of the interesting things yeah. about this is, is you realise how early into Doctor Who 
storytelling, most of the things we take for granted now were introduced. Well, I I think this is why I I believe this story is so important, because it it brings the crew together. It gives you the Doctor that that we've come to know over the years, um, rather than this like Coles and cruel, irascible um, character. So they they smooth the, do- the 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 edges of the character for the Doctor in this one. Um, it introduces the whole thing that the, uh, the possibly the Tardis is alive. Yeah. As well, so I, you know, for for a little filler story, it's introduced some important show history right there. But people yeah. just people do dismiss this story, really, and I think because of the fast return switch. And I must yeah, admit, yeah. I sort of had, because my sort of memory was oh, it was just, you know, set on the TARDIS and it all got resolved quite simply. Yeah. So why I hadn't really gone back and watched it again. Oh, uh, no, I, I, I sort of... Um, I, I'm quite happy to sit and watch this one any time. You know, if I've just got an hour to kill and I want to watch some classic Who, I'll put this one on. I, I generally uh, do like this story. I really do. Always have done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I have a, I have a new appreciation of it now, <laughs> uh, and I think yeah, and I think that has totally come from the book as well. I think I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I probably would have done, but having it spelled out for me in the book, <laughs> yeah, what really this story's about, yeah, yeah, and the importance of this story, actually, taking the time to watch it to read it. I mean, obviously, it's not a long book, but having you know, to, that that bits that are in there now is does really bring home to you how important this story is. Yes, it does. It, I, I, it's so important, and, and I'm really glad to say that the, you know this this novelisation does it justice and then some. Yeah, but, you know, it really does. Um, there's one thing I, I I might have missed when I after reading this, I watched the TV series. Uh, series version the what the TARDIS shows them on the scanner yeah in the book it's quite clear they said did you know did you notice that it wasn't actually where we are it was just pictures you said look because the doctor points out to Ian look the trees aren't moving yeah does it does it say that in the in the t- I don't recall that in the TV. I don't version. think they do. I don't think. I they think do, someone no. says about the. Fo- I think Barbara says about you know the clock, the photos, but they don't. She's, there's no realization of, you know, all oh, these not, are actually it's not video. It's, it's yeah. They're just yeah. stills of where we've been. Yeah. Yeah. Although I mean, to be honest, most of the, most of the stuff on the scanner in the TARDIS in them days was that, wasn't it? Well, it was so, really. Yeah. Whether it was meant to be live action outside or not. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh dear! Yeah, I mean, it's, oh it's difficult to know whether it was they was meant to just be pictures or not. But. Yeah, but uh, oh well. Well, I mean, um, it, I mean, it's such a short book, and I think we, we've covered the, the 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 big, you know, um, enhancements to, yeah. to, to, to it. But there's some other little things as well. There's, I think there's just you know too many to mention really. But it, it really does round out all the characters um, fantastically. Um, as, as well as what you know, as what we've we've previously gone over, um, and I, you know, I know we've sort of given away a lot of the things here, but I'd, I'd seriously recommend you listeners out there read this book if you haven't done so already. Yeah, especially if, actually to be honest, if you're not a massive fan of the Hartnell era, 
Yes, it indeed. Might be yes, worth yes. Yes. Yeah. It might just change this, your opinion. Yeah, or at least it'll give you those sort of the origins of where it changed and how it became. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, oh, come on, Paul. All those all those hip youngsters watching Doctor Who on Twitch they would have known this by now. Yeah, you know that's our core listening uh, <laughs> listening group, and it's. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Obviously. We're hip with the kids, aren't we? <laughs> no, but but for yeah, for literally for for what it brought to the story, and what it gave me in terms of then when I watched the episode, I think this is probably my favourite target book so far. Yes. Yes, it is indeed. It is indeed. I, I think it's, it's it's certainly one of the, the better ones we've read of of late. Yeah. Put it that way. I mean, and like I say, I mean it it wasn't. It's you know it's it's obviously somebody has taken their their time over it or at least you know mm. set out with a clear indication of what they wanted to do, um, other than being you know sort of press ganged into it. I yes, think, right. Is, yeah, yeah. Is is a is, is a lot of what happens with some of the target books. Mm. Um, it's it's a book that's obviously written with a lot of love of that period. Yes, and of this episode. Well, say because we were looking up a little bit about Nigel Robinson. He has written um, for the uh, it's one of the new new Avengers for the Virgin series. It was a Time Worm Apocalypse. Um, he wrote another one called Birthright. But he's written novelised things like the Tomorrow People um, as well, isn't he? Um, yeah. Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Baywatch, and the film Free Willy. Really? Yes. <laughs> Um, but the, the the one are some children's horror novels as well, so you can see where he gets the because it is almost like a haunted house story. This one, isn't it? Yeah, he's turned this story in, into a haunted house, um, which is brilliant, really, because it, it it makes perfect sense. Because if you're you're trapped in one location, it is that is a haunted house story. Yeah, you're trapped in there. Things are going wrong. You don't trust one another. It's in the dark. You know. Um, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But um, but just one other thing I want to mention. Here, um, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because because if you literally people go on about the robots of death, yeah, has been an Agatha Christie. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, this sort of has that sort of you know we're trapped in with a killer. Yeah. Feel to it. There and then. And it does. It does. But it sort of plays up the horror aspects, like especially like, yeah. you know, when there's a poltergeist. In that mm. in that laboratory for for argument's sake. So uh, no, I, 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 it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But um, but I just like to mention that Luke, um, sorry, Nigel Robinson um, has written the Luke Cannon Show Jumping Mysteries series, which um, yes, no relation actually the Luke Luke Cannon, but um, yeah, I, phew, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a leap in it. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, jump. Hey, <laughs> dear idea, dear idea. Um, and also, the no, co- I can't say I've read any of those. No, me neither, actually. And I, I'm not necessarily sure, as much as I've loved this novelisation, whether I'm inclined to go and read those. No, no, of course not, Paul. It's effort, isn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we leave that there then? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good place to end so. it. Yeah, so I think we, we, we both enjoyed it. Because um, I, I was quite surprised when you picked it out, actually. To be honest, mainly like, because I haven't watched it for so long, and it's one of those. I've, the problem I'm getting now with Doctor Who is stuff is the fact that I've got st- stuff 
got it on DVD and you sort of think to yourself, no, I won't watch that now because I might want to watch. I might need to watch it for the podcast. Yeah. And you think, oh, I want to come fresh to it again mm. for the podcast. So you tend to put off stuff. So when I suggest something, it's because I probably want to watch it. <laughs> Uh, that, well, the, the next episode, Paul, we will be watching something, won't we? Because we're back to our Series 1 retrospective. Yes. Yes. You see how seamless that link was? Yes. That's, oh, it's if we planned it, Paul. <laughs> no, again, that means effort, doesn't it? Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to return with um, The Empty Child, uh, written by Stephen Moffat. So I'm, I'm yes, what, what happened to him? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, crikey. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. It's been a while since I've watched this. Yes. And um, I do remember enjoying it very, very much as a as a, as a two-parter, but obviously we'll be um, splitting the, 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 the parts up by a few weeks, unfortunately. Yeah. So i still got a feeling we won't have got round to it by the time Series 11 starts, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. We've got, what, probably at least two months, haven't we? Possibly, possibly. But um, we'll right. see. We'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Yeah. Anyway, folks, so that's it for another week. So we'll be back a week after next then with The Empty Child. So until next time, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Who's he?